0: The text tonight is from 2 Kings, chapter 18, Hezekiah and the Serpent. Because of the king Hezekiah it matches up with Isaiah and Micah and the last king of Israel. So starting Second 2 Kings, chapter 18, verse 3, Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done, he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image. So he was doing all these things, and this is review here. We've seen this written in this section in in, in, in the Bible. Now it's interesting, Second Kings 18 and thereabouts writes a lot about Hezekiah. We've seen it in 2 Chronicles, writes about Hezekiah. And the book of Isaiah has, I think, four chapters on Hezekiah, and all of them basically paralleling saying the same thing, uh, but in this chapter, there's something that is only in 2 Kings. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent, serpent that Moses made. Isaiah doesn't mention this. The writers of 2 Chronicles doesn't mention this. But 2 Kings mentions that he broke the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now, could you imagine if you had something <laughs> that Moses made? You know, God ordained for Moses to make, and you broke it. Well, let's see what that, let's go back and look at what this bronze serpent that Moses made is all about. What was Moses doing making bronze serpents? That's interesting. Okay, back to the book of Numbers, the Torah, chapter 21, verse 4. They journeyed from Mount Hor, and the people became very discouraged. They spoke about against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless bread. Who is is right, that worthless bread, the Bible describes as angels' food. Now I don't know if that means that the angels made it or the angels also ate it. But it was, the Bible says it as angels' food, manna from heaven, coming down from heaven miraculously, six days out of the week. And on Friday, t- double amount, disappearing every night, except on Friday it remained. Miraculous food, this worthless food. Wow. A gift from heaven worthless. Yeah, this is such an insult to God and talking against him. You brought us up out of Egypt. Why'd you bring us up out of Egypt? Weren't you the guys crying to come out of Egypt? And Now you're blaming me for taking you out of Egypt? You guys didn't have to come. You could have stayed there if you wanted. And blaming God and Moses, speaking against Moses and speaking against God. And when we speak against the Lord's anointed, when we speak about against the one that the Lord has ordained and commissioned to lead us, we are directly talking against God. Because in context, they're talking directly to Moses. There's no food and there's no water. God provided water and God was providing food. The best food. Might have been that same type of food that Elijah went three days on. So they're talking against God and talking against Moses. Dangerous, dangerous. Verse 6, so the Lord sent fiery serpents which bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. And the people said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you, pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpent from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Oh, you see the power of the Lord there. God allows these serpents to come, and these serpents start biting the people and people dying from it. Be careful what we say, be careful our attitude, be careful how we act careful what we think about God, and we don't even necessarily have to say, God, this worthless food, why did you take us out of Egypt? All we have to do is be silent, and not thank God when we eat the food that we have on our plate. When we don't thank God for the provisions that we have, for the clothes on our back, that we live in a country where we're not getting cut up into pieces. That there are people in this world who are willing to stand by God and testify and be believers in God even though they know it means they very well could be cut up into pieces. And I'm talking about places as close as Mexico where people are being killed, massacred, slaughtered, chopped up. We need to thank God and appreciate what he has done for us. Thank God for every breath that we have. Thank God that we can work. Thank God that we can earn money. Thank God that we can provide. Thank God that we can return to him how he has blessed us. Thank God that we can come and worship together and worship God freely. We don't appreciate any of these things in all of the things that God has done for us. In already providing a sacrifice for us. In loving us with an everlasting love. In sending his son for us to free us from our carnal natures, to free us from our sin, to free us from our grumbling and our complaining and our negativity. You know, it wasn't just them. That's our nature. We're all born that way. We're all born as pessimists. We're all born negative. With negative attitudes. And it's only the grace of God that changes us. We're all born selfish and greedy and unthankful. It's only the grace of God that gives us a cheerful, thankful, hopeful, positive outlook in life. And we need to thank him for that. And we can thank him again that he provided the sacrifice, that he provided the Messiah to take away our carnal nature. To break Satan's hold over us. To deliver us from our unrighteousness. And to fill us with his spirit, with his mind, with his thoughts, with his actions. Because not only is it by the grace of God that we were not slaughtered tonight, it's by the grace of God that we were not slaughtering others. That we are not the slaughterers. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by his hold over us. It's only by his hand over our minds and our hearts and our lives and our actions. And so when we refuse to thank him, when we take it for granted, the liberties and the privileges and the goodness that he has manifested to us, he'll allow it to be taken away and he'll allow the serpents to come and fight us. He'll allow Satan to come and trouble us. He'll allow problems to come upon us. We open the door to Satan as we turn our backs on God, as we go out from underneath his protective care. Destruction will come individually, and as a nation, as this nation, and as the world turns its back on God, and refutes him, and spits in his face, and ignores his word, the serpent will come and bite at us. And many will die. So when we go through troubles, when we go through problems, when we are harassed, when we are persecuted, We have a good example here. At least they woke up from that and turned to God and truly confessed their sin. And specifically, we have sinned. Not just we have sinned generally. Oh, Lord, help us, help us. They confess it specifically. We have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Specifically mentioning the sin that they committed. That's true confession not just some general, Lord, forgive me for all my sins, but specifically mentioning the sin and confessing them. And confessing is just the start, just the first part. I guess the first part is God convicting us. So God convicted them and they woke up. God allowed the serpents to help wake them up. And they were convicted in heart that it was their fault. That these serpents were biting them. Thank God they didn't blame God for that. But they blamed themselves. And they confessed, and they confessed fully. And then it needs to be followed up with repentance by the power of God to turn from the sin. And then they prayed for the Lord to take away the serpents from us. And then another miracle is that Moses prayed for the people. So when people are talking bad about you and ungrateful to everything you've done for them and you've helped this person and they're the ones who turn on you, they're the ones who forgot, Those, they're the ones who, who, who rewrite the history and say what you did was instead of good was bad. When your children are not thankful for all the diapers that you changed and all the butts that you wiped and all the food that you gave them and all the schools you took them back and forth to, Grateful little (laughs) 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 or your spouse or your friends or your boss or your employees, your landlords, or your tenants, or others in the congregation, and they're ungrateful and unthankful, and go beyond that, they talk badly about you curse you, malign you, destroy your reputation, write some horrible things on Facebook, really get you, (laughs) tweet you. (laughs) That's a miracle of God. When God gives us the ability to pray for those very people. Oh, it's easy to pray for those we love. It's easy to pray for those who love us. Moses prayed and interceded for them. And I can guarantee you, Moses didn't pray. Start praying when they confessed. Moses was praying and interceding while they were grumbling, while they were complaining, while they were criticizing him, while they were blaming him. That's the power of God, to give us love for our enemies, to pray and intercede for them. Moses prays so far, and doesn't mention it right in this section, but we see it. Moses prays so much and intercedes so fully that he says, Lord, let them have my place in heaven. Lord, if they cannot be there, blot my name out with them. That's how far he prayed for his enemies. Lord, let them go to heaven in place of me. They can't be there, Lord. Blot my name out. That's a demonstration of God's Spirit in our hearts. That's not natural. That's not normal for our human natures. That's divine. And if God did it through Moses. God can do it through each one of us. God can give us the ability to pray for those that are hurting us, for those that are currently hurting us, for those that have hurt us in the past. Pray and intercede for them. That's the power of God. That's the heart of God. It's not natural, and so when we don't have that, and you're not wanting to pray for that person who's hurting you confess that. God, I don't have your spirit. I don't have an ounce of prayer for that person. I have just hatred for them. I just want you to just crush them. I want you to just slam them. Kill them. Send some serpents their way. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. And give me your mind. And give me your heart. Lead them in your path. Thank you for providing salvation for them. Lead them to it and their heart to a Now so Moses was praying, and then Moses continued to pray, and Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said, make a fiery serpent. And he didn't just say, okay, boom, the serpents are gone, everyone's healed. No, the Lord said, make a fiery serpent. He had Moses act upon his prayer. And set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, at the bronze serpent on a pole, shall live. God asked for action through their prayer. Okay, so they confessed that was good. But he doesn't automatically take away the serpents. The serpents are still there, still biting. And I thought when I gave my heart to the Lord, all the problems would go away. (laughs) The serpents don't go away. We're in enemy territory. We're living on this earth where Satan dwells, where Satan rules, where Satan is the prince of this earth, and he'll continue to bite us. But he says, when they are bitten, have them look, not at the bite, not at the pain, not at the swelling, but look away from themselves, and look up to the pole. And look to the bronze circle hanging on the pole. Now the serpent in the Bible represents the devil. It was the serpent that tempted Eve. It was the serpent that tricked Adam and Eve. It was the serpent that Satan used to speak through, to tempt Adam and Eve. The serpent represented as the dragon, represented as the devil. It's the serpents that are biting them. So why does God use a bronze serpent on a pole to have them to look to? Well, that was faith. It took faith on their part. He's asking them to manifest faith. He's asking them to look away from themselves and to look to this emblem that God sets up for their salvation, for them to be healed. And as they do it, they are healed. As they look on that bronze serpent, they're healed. The serpent is still there, the serpent is still biting them, but God provided a healing for them from the snake eye. So now they're having to act upon their confession. They needing to live it out, and they need to purposely look and believe in this item that God set up for them. In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 14, And 15, just before the famous verse of John 3, 16, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, this is Yeshua speaking, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That serpent in the wilderness on the pole that Moses made, foreshadowed the Messiah to come, who would be lifted up also. And as we look to him, as we look to that tree, as we look to that stake, as we look to that pole set up where he hung, where he died, we are healed. Just as miraculously as they were healed from the serpent fighting them, we are healed spiritually from our sin-sick soul. As we look to him and see our sins dying in him. As we confess our our worthlessness, our unworthiness, our sinfulness, and accept his death in our behalf. That he took our punishment for the very acts and the very sins, the very grumbling and the very complaining that we have done the very unthankfulness that we have manifested. He, like Moses, not only Moses saying, blot my name out, he was blotted out for us. He changed places for us. What Moses was willing to do, Yeshua did do. And said, God, give them my place in heaven. And the Father accepted that prayer and we will have his place. And he has taken our place in dying for us. So again, how come and how could it be that a serpent representing the devil could be hung and foreshadow the Messiah to come? How could the Messiah be represented in a serpent? Because Yeshua became sin. For us. Yeshua became the serpent for us. Yeshua took so much sin in himself, he even took the devil's sin in himself. He died for the sins of the world. He became sin, full embodiment of sin for us, and died for us. Thus, for God so loved the world that he gave his son to become the serpent for us, to become the curse for us, so that even though we've been bitten by the serpent, all who believe on him, all who look to him, shall be healed, shall be forgiven, shall not die, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the serpent. Back to Hezekiah. Hezekiah broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses made. For the children of Israel burned incense to it. The bronze serpent that healed the people, that God told Moses to build to make, to put up, that the people looked at and were healed, that foreshadowed the Messiah, that pointed forward to the Messiah. That bronze serpent, Hezekiah, broke in pieces. Can you imagine? It's like taking the Ark of the Covenant and breaking it in pieces. It's like taking the menorah in the temple and breaking it in pieces. people began to worship him as an idol. For over a thousand years since Moses, we've got a thousand-year-old antique from Moses that God told him to build. And he breaks it. And I don't know why. Okay, they're worshiping his idol. Let's hide it somewhere. Let's bury it away. Let's put it in a closet somewhere until the next generation or something like that. But he says, no, it's become an idol. Fulfilled its purpose. We don't need it. He's broken. Because of the sins of the people. There's something in your life. And maybe it's good. Maybe at one time was good. Maybe at one time was even a blessing. Maybe it was a gift from your grandmother or your grandfather has sentimental meaning to it. Maybe it's something very valuable, bronze. Maybe something ancient, maybe something antique, maybe something irreplaceable. Maybe something that's a -a one-of-a-kind item. But it's become your idol. Maybe it was a car that your father gave you. Or a house that was bequeathed to you or some pieces of gold or silver and become your idol Come, what you trust in Come, what you worship more than God what you precious, count more precious than God that you spend more time with than you do with God have you had to choose between that and the Bible during a fire? Or have you put more attention to it? An attachment to it? And it's more precious to you. That's the only thing that you had left. And you needed to return a tithe back to God, would you let go of it? Is it an idol? There should be nothing in our life that we're not willing to let go of God and God alone is the only thing that will take into the grave. God and God alone is the only thing we'll take into heaven. Surrender it all. Let nothing stand between you and God. any sin in your heart, any cherished thing, any cherished possession, maybe your idol is your abilities, your talents, your degree. What do you take pride in? Where is our boast? Must there could be nothing that separates us from God. Nothing we wouldn't be willing to surrender for him. Nothing we wouldn't be willing to give up for him. So what made Hezekiah the leader God called him to be. And Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor who were before him. That's a mighty statement. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him, and he prospered forever he went. That tells us what God thought of him breaking God's serpent. Put it on a pole. He was pleased with the act. God calls us to let go of all and to follow Him. I was talking with a man recently, he had this gargoyle, big, huge thing in front of his house. And he was told that it was there, that, that it's used to ward off evil. I said, okay. So he got one, and he put it in front of his house. It doesn't ward off evil. If anything, it brings in evil. Well, just recently he got rid of the thing. Praise God. I remember I was visiting another man. In his garage, he had these cases stacked up high, of alcohol. He'd given up alcohol, but he didn't know what to do with these things. He spent a lot of money on these things. So he prayed about it and decided he needs to get rid of it. Early the next morning, I helped him. We went out to the sewer, and we're pouring it down the drain. Making a whole bunch of fish drunk, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the people across the street came running out. <laughs> they must have been partying. There was a whole bunch of, I mean, bunch of people coming out and uh, filling their pajamas or whatever. And, what are you doing? <laughs> it became a testimony and a witness for God. Getting rid of these things. God has delivered me from these things. Getting rid of this evil. Caused all this pain in my heart and mind and life. God has set me free. God will set us free. Of everything and anything. That we're not willing to let go. So that we can be blessed by God. That the Lord will be with us. And prosper wherever we go. And in everything we do. That's the way to experience the prosperity gospel. is to surrender all to God. And we will prosper in all that he calls us to do. So as we pray, any area in our lives, your life, my life, that God has brought to mind, any area where we've been unthankful, any area where we've been grumbling, complaining, we against God's leaders, we against God. I'm thankful for what he has done. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so maybe you've been grumbling about something that you think you don't have, that you should have. And we're not trusting God, not believing God. Because no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And he doesn't give bad gifts, he only gives good gifts. And so if you've got something that you think is a bad gift, it's a good gift. Might seem like worthless bread, but it's a good gift. We've been unthankful for anything. Trust in the Lord. Surrender it to him. Any idol in your life, anything you're holding on to, anything that you're not willing to let go of, surrender it all. Abraham had to surrender his son. Surrender it all. Maybe a child, maybe a spouse. Willing to surrender all. God gave him back his son. God may give you back whatever it is, but willing to surrender all, everything and anything. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name, Lord, for an example like Hezekiah. And we know if you filled him with your spirit, cleansed him from his carnal nature, the example of Moses, you filled him with your spirit, cleansed him of his carnal nature, and the people, as they confess their sin and turn from their sin, we know you can do it in us as well because you've already provided the sacrifice for us. You've already defeated Satan. Satan has already been killed. Satan has already been defeated. And will one day finally be fully destroyed. And so thankful, Lord, for your work in our lives. Thank you for stepping on the head of the serpent. Thank you for being that sacrifice, Yeshua. Thank you for becoming sin for us. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for washing us clean. Fill us with your spirit. And live in us and out of us. In Yeshua's holy name.